Welcome to the Spring Forth Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor, Iowa. This recording was made on March 27th, 2022, the fourth Sunday of Lent. for prayers for Corbin Evanson and also recently, it's not on our prayer list, but Kimberly Brooks. Do you have an update on? Okay. Um, Kimberly is the sister-in-law of Mary and Sherry, wife of Richard, and I don't want to characterize what's going on, but she's um, being looked after right now. And Casey, do you want to give us as what what you can for? Okay. Are you having any pain, Corbin? prayers are with you. It's good to see you here today. I didn't expect it. It's good to see our Marys, all three of you. (laughs) Mary's cubed, so good to see you again. I also have here a thank you that I'd like to share with you. You dear folk at church, help me so much. I feel your sympathy. It feels so strange to stand alone. Your words help me go on. Lovingly, Al. Is today the day that we take our neighbors? Okay, because I was looking at the, one of the five offerings that we give to the UCC. This is the one great hour of sharing. We've got a poster on the door and we had flyers to talk about what this goes to. One great hour of sharing our funds that go to help in disaster relief throughout the wider church. We have been recipients of such funds in the past when the tornado passed through McGregor. Uh, Our church received uh, grant money that we were able to dispense in the community to help ease people's uh, financial burden as they were repairing and rebuilding and cleaning. So whatever you can give, to this, um, we'll find a good home, definitely. And I don't know if we have the little envelopes in the back so you can designate that gift to that, uh, that fund. This, anything else that we need to highlight as we, oh yes, yes, yes. This Friday will be our church-wide clean. Did we set a time for that? 
9 to 3, and bring tools, bring, you know, gloves, bring masks, some dusty stuff around here. There's a couple of rooms in particular in the basement that we really want to hit hard. Uh, the rooms underneath the stairs, what, what is supposed to be the Sunday school room, we need to hit these rooms hard because we're reclaiming our space. I can tell you firsthand how liberating it felt when I took on that balcony and it was frightening. Some of that frightening stuff I relocated to the stairs because I didn't think that I, it was my place to declare that they should be disappeared. But the council's on board now and when they see the mold that I extracted from the balcony and just relocated, they will make the definitive decision to say, you know, it's time to let these things go. Um, and, and on an energetic level, those of you who like to get into a spring cleaning routine, cleaning out garages, basements, attics, just your space, you realize that in doing that, not only are you um, tidying up your areas, but you're also bringing your spaces back into vitality. And you're coming to grips with the stuff that obviously you haven't been using. It no longer has form or function for you. That rainy day that you were saving it for is never going to go on. It's not going to come. The, 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 you know, the, the rain and the sun and the storms have all come. All sorts of weather patterns have come, and you've been saving this thing, and it needs to go. And that's what's happened to our church. There's not a closet in this church that doesn't have something that doesn't need to be in there. And so come with the right mindset of liberating these church spaces so we can do some ministry in this place. Uh, we've been hemmed in by just a lot of garbage. And I think that that garbage keeps us from being able to maximize what we can do in and around this space. So that's happening on Friday. And I will be here. And I will be making sure that a lot of this stuff doesn't creep back into our corners. I know some of you share that. Because <laughs> you know how it is, right? You take a box and you go, where are you going with that? Oh, just away. One of them, we all do that stuff. We do. We know we should be going to the dumpster. We just kind of go, it's like, okay, I'm out of sight now. Back into the closet. We can't do that anymore. We can no longer lie to ourselves. We have a problem, but we're not alone in that. Just about every, every church, every house, every home has those do not, you know, we should have these caution tape put across, like do not open that closet. And it's not like, it's not always just a teenager's problem. Adults have that problem too. All right, sermon before the sermon. Let us, uh, let's have some music to soothe our beast. <laughs>
God be with you. Let us pray. Gracious Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true bread which gives life to the world, evermore give us this bread that he may live in us and we in him, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our opening hymn is number 153. Happy are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is put away. While I held my tongue, my bones withered away because of my groaning all day long. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my guilt. Therefore, all the faithful will make their prayers to you in time of trouble. When the great waters overflow, they shall not reach them. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like 
Great are the tribulations of the wicked, but mercy embraces those who trust in the Lord.
I made it all the way in. Hey, there's no scripture here. Oh. Uh, Purple. <laughs> I well, I guess I can get a Bible and you okay. just Okay. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it. He ain't had ever For, I'm glad it's movable for short people. Um, Joshua, the Old Testament reading is Joshua 5, 9 through 12. It might take me a second. Is it before or after Jeremiah? <laughs> I mean, I do my daily Bible daily. Oh, numbers, thank you. I was way far. See, I don't go there very often. After Numbers, Deuteronomy. I'll find them. Okay, Joshua's way back there. I haven't read from him for a while. I'm serious. Joshua 5, 9 through 12. Probably you, all of you are already there and read it already. Okay. Fifteen, fourteen, ten, eleven, ten, five. Okay, gotcha. Sorry. Technical difficulties. All right. Can't find the numbers are small. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt, and so that place called is called Gilgal to this day. While the Israelites were camped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening on the fourteenth day of the month in the plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna seized on the day they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year. Oh, good. Thanks. Nobody wants to wait that long. All right. All right. God bless you. 5, 16 through 21. Um, the second reading is... From 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. And it's bigger print. <sighs> Love it. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, for, and entrusting the message of the reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Please rise for the gospel. I had intended to skip the reading of the gospel because I explain it so much in the sermon, but I realized that now... 
is my object lesson for the day. This is why we need to clean this church up. Now, I know this is my responsibility. This is my space here. But Jesus used a lot of teaching examples, and so this one's mine. <laughs> but I had planned on not reading this because I go into such detail as we move through it, but sometimes it benefits us to hear things obviously more than once. And since church is largely about ritual, and ritual is largely about repetition, hey, what's one good turn deserves another and another and another. The gospel today is the parable of the prodigal son. It's Luke 15, verses 1 through 3, 11b through 32. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling, saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him in the field to feed the pigs. And he would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, because no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up. And I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am not fit to be called one of your sons. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and filled with compassion. He ran, put his arms around him, kissed him. Then the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him, and a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And kill the fatted calf. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. I don't know how you can hear dancing, but he heard it. And he called one of the slaves, and he asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. And his father came out to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never even disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, having devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for him? The father said to him, son, you were always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of the Holy Word. You may be seated. Let us pray. 
Loving and most merciful God, we thank you for this day, for the sunshine, cuts through the chill, but we also thank you for this opportunity to have this time for corporate worship, to be able to gather together with the faithful, and to hear and respond. It's the most exciting thing about our faith is to be able to hear your word and then respond. So as you move us through this text today, allow us to do what you would have us to do with it, which is to listen, to reflect, and then to apply the wisdom that's been mined from this parable and to learn from it. And hopefully this story, which has echoed down through the generations, will continue to inform our daily walk just as much now as it has through previous generations. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be an offering that you find pleasing. Amen. Verse 11. Then Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. Father, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. Let me have it right now. Now, regardless of culture, this would be an absolutely ridiculous request, and no father was under any obligation to fulfill such a demand. So right from the very offset, we see that there's something very different going on with this family dynamic. That this younger son and this father have a very different sort of relationship. The father does divide his property. He gives it to his younger son, and then immediately the son takes that and distances himself from his family. His family is dead to him. All he wanted was what he could get, and he takes that, goes off to some far-off region where nobody knows him, and he begins to go on this spending three in less than what we would consider commendable living. As we would expect, Anyone who's ever received a sizable inheritance, there's a period of insanity that kind of sets in because you start to think about all the stuff that you would do if you ever had money. It's, that's actually kind of a, it's a very common practice when people play, I don't, and I'm not asking if you're playing the lottery, and I'm not asking if you spent, you know, one too many nights at the boat. I don't really care, actually. I'm just trying to talk about that there's this notion that we get caught up with that we would live our lives dramatically differently if we just had a little bit more scratch, if we just had a little bit more money than we actually have, and what would we do with that? And oftentimes, we would lose our minds just like this younger son did. We don't know how much he got, right? We don't know what his, uh, obviously his father had a sizable estate and was generous enough to divide it and say, fine, take this, you know, you, you want your inheritance, you get it early. Christmas, come early, get your inheritance, and you go on and do your thing, and he's like, great. First thing I'm going to do is I'm, I'm getting out of this place, man. I'm going to go see the world. He's young. He's the younger son. He's brash. So he goes and he sees the world and just starts spending. Everyone probably thought, we don't know who this guy is, but we like him. Because, you know, he's, he's always got the crystal on tap, and he's just, he's just making it happen. So he's our new best friend <laughs> until the well runs dry, right? Because the well always ultimately runs dry. So he spends through his inheritance. Money runs out, he finds himself in a recession in this place that he doesn't know anybody. 
And he is so desperate. And we have to understand that Jesus is telling this story to a Jewish audience. And this younger son has now traveled to an area where the only job that he can get is feeding pigs. I mean, so talk about how the mighty have fallen, right? So you get this nice Jewish boy who is feeding pigs. But, but it doesn't stop there. His embarrassment and his shame goes even deeper because as he's, as he's slopping the hogs, he's like, man, if that doesn't look half good, I sure am hungry. And I don't know anybody around here. And now I am desirous of the leftover bits and pieces that I have to give to the hogs. And he's like, I'm in a bad way. Right? You know, he, he becomes aware of himself and realizes that he had an incredible blessing, which he walked away from. He wanted his father dead, so he treated his father like a dead man, took what he could get, went off, made ill use of it, falls on hard times, realizes he hasn't a friend in the world. And so he concocts a plan. He's like, I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do. I'm going to get myself out of this depressing situation. How many of my father's Hired servants have bread enough to spare, right? Because right now he's thinking about satiating his hunger, and he's also thinking about perhaps maybe trying to cook up um, a plan that might be able to get him back in favor with dad. So he's resolved. He's, he's working out a speech here. He's like, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Because the end game is to get some food in his belly. He still doesn't really care about his dad, but he cares about it. He doesn't want to die with these pigs. He's like, I'm not going to die here. I'm not going to die this way. I'm going to go back and give it a shot. Let me just at least give it a shot. So now the younger son is within, he's, you, can, you can imagine him, he's walking home, he's rehearsing his speech, he's walking home, he's rehearsing his speech, and he just looks detestable, right? Obviously he doesn't have any sandals on, he doesn't have any robe, he, he certainly doesn't have any jewelry, and he's coming back, and he's rehearsing his speech, and what he doesn't expect is that his father... From the time that the son left, the father has never stopped scanning the horizon for his son's return. This is an incredible thing. His father is an important man. His father was a powerful, influential man. His father has a vast estate. And his father has never stopped longing for that son that wished him dead, took his property, and disappeared. Now, I'm not a parent, so I, I have no idea what that relationship is like when your children test your limits. In conversation with parents, I understand that this is a dynamic, but you never quit your child. You work with them. You try to understand where they're coming from. You try to give them a foundation to build on. Because someday they may become parents and will come to understand your long-suffering nature. But it doesn't mean that they won't test you. And so we have this younger son who has tested his father insufferably. And you would think that as a result of that, that father would say, that's fine. So, you know, you, you win some, you lose some. So my younger son said, hey, dad, you know, I, I, you're not really important to me. What's important to me is what I can get out of you. So let me get that, and I'm going to be on out of here. 
The father could have said, well, I still have one more son around here. He's probably out in the fields. I'm okay. Not completely childless. But this father, as we understand through this parable, never stopped scanning the horizon for his son. And what this younger son was not expecting is that his father, as dignified and as important as he would, would see him and run. Now, this is, see, this is almost lost on a lot of us who read this parable, even people who know the parable well. Important men of property and substance and status, they didn't run, right? They, 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 don't, they don't run. <laughs> when you're important, people will wait for you. But this father, and, and one of the, the also reasons why, why Luke's Jesus brings this image up into the story, because this parable is only found in the Gospel of Luke, and it is the longest of the parables that, Jesus, that are attributed to Jesus. In order for a man of substance and, and importance to run, he would have to you know, draw his, his robes, his heavy robes and garments up above his knees and show their legs back in the day. It's undignified. It's un, much less to run. And you can imagine the spectacle of a guy, you know, hiking up his prayer robes and running like a oh, full-on sprint in where public could see him, right? And they said, the man sure enough unlost his mind because that's the kid that screwed him over. But yet here he is hiking up his robe, making himself a spectacle, making himself a spectacle because he wants to reconcile with his son that badly. So he runs. He embraces his son. There's all sorts of physical affection going on there. And the, the son, who's been rehearsing his speech, can barely get out the first phrase. He's like, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And immediately the father cuts him off. He cuts him off. He stops him right there. He calls to his servants. He's like, quick, quick, get some garments. Get, the, get a rope, the, the finest one. Get a ring. Get sandals for his feet. Oh, and that fatted calf, which is only reserved for tip-top company. Like when you got to like seal the deal with some business partners, you kill the fatted calf and like do all the spoils. It's that private, private, private reserve that you've got on those special occasions. That's what the fatted calf was. The fatted calf was significant. Like this big deal things are happening here. And get the fatted calf and kill it. We're going to celebrate. The master is spoken. So the slaves do all this stuff. I mean, the son, the younger son is reeling. He's like, this is not the homecoming that I expected. At best, he was, re he was, he was ready to, to get the, the lowliest of jobs on his father's estate, maybe you know, live in some little shack there and, 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 and work and bust his tail for a little bit of bread. He was not expecting fatted calf reception. It's like, Dad, what, what happened? Has your fever broke? Because this is just madness. This is madness. And Jesus wants us to fall into the madness of this narrative. He wants us to see how egregious this father's love is. But we remember in the story that the father has two sons. He's got two sons. So now enter in firstborn. The elder son's been out working in the field, right? Because that's what he does. He works in the fields. He helps dad. But he comes back to the house, and he's hearing music. And maybe through the window, he caught the glimpse of someone, you know, in the, you know trying to get their swerve on. 
And he's like, wait a minute. This doesn't add up. Because, first of all, dad's not the partying type. And if there was going to be a party, I would have been informed. He would have called me in from the fields. He would have said, hey, so-and-so showing up tonight. We're doing the fatted calf. So the son, he's like, somebody's got to do some explaining to me. So he calls the servant and says, what is going on? What's all this merriment? Your, your brother's come back, and your, your father's put a robe on him and ring his finger, and he's killed a fatted calf, and there's music and celebration. You better get some. You know, it's Miller time. Come on. So, so all of a sudden, and, 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 and the elder son just loses it. He just melts right there. He says, I will not go in. Right? Because the last thing he wanted to hear is that the source of the merriment is his near-do-well, shiftless younger brother, the one who wished his father dead. Right? That's hate speech there. The one who just up and just left him with everything except half the inheritance. So the older brother's like, you can just imagine him with, their, with a big bag of home. So I'm not going in. I'm not, no, not today. I'm not having this. The father, the father comes out. What's your problem? He's like, can I, can I speak freely? Because I want to speak freely today because there's been some things I've been storing up that you need to hear. But I've been being the good son, so I haven't let you hear him. But if you want to hear him, I'm going to download right now. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it, old man? Are you ready for it? Because I, ooh, I want to talk to you. Right? And dad's like, let me hear it, son. Hit me with it. He's like, okay. Okay. I've been working like a slave for you. I've been out there. Er I mean, I'm doing like before the sun is up and after the sun is down. I've been busting, man, grinding for you. And I've never asked you for anything. You haven't even given me just a little goat that I might be able to have a little house party, right? A little bonfire with my friends. But this son of yours, and note the language, this son of yours, right? Remember when your kids act up and you go, see, that's your son. <laughs> that's your dad. It's always, it's, you always pin it on the other parent, like, you know, the permissive ones. Like, see, see, they wrecked the cart. That's your kid who did that. Your kid, not mine. I had nothing. I was not there. <laughs> that's your kid. So he's like, but this son of yours goes and takes your money and squanders it with prostitutes. Now, we don't know. We don't, we, this might be a characterization of an angry older brother, right? He, we don't know. The guy could have been shooting dice or something like that. But the fact of the matter is, is that the older brother has to characterize it, that he was out there doing some nefarious deeds with the money, and yet you kill the fatted calf for him? This is the kind of dad you are? Well, I, I, I don't, you know what? I don't know you. This is, this is the elder brother's anger. When, when you're angry, we don't think rationally, right? We only see our own hurt. That's the only thing that's before us. And that's all this older brother can see is his hurt and what seemingly looks like his rejection and what seemingly looks like the unfairness of his dad that he thought he knew. Because he was there and he saw how dad was when the son had left, but there were some things that he was obviously ignoring, like the fact that his dad was scanning the horizon waiting for his son to come back. Somehow the older brother was too busy in the field to notice that. He didn't notice his father's longing. He didn't notice his father missing that young son, sitting there, rocking back and forth as he looks at an image of him, right? 
He didn't notice that part. But he's all of a sudden ready to get all upset because he's like, I've done everything that you asked me to do, and this one has done everything that seemingly flies in offense of what you want, and you're celebrating him. I will not go into your party. Dad, dad brings everything together. Dad says, okay, son, um, I can see you're angry. <laughs> I can see you're a little warm. You have some feelings about this, but uh, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. I don't know how that didn't get conveyed to you. I don't know how you thought that somehow I was extremely, exceedingly possessive. But because that you were in my care, if you wanted to have a celebration with your friends and sacrifice a little goat and have some friends over, I have no problem with that. You saw what I did for your younger brother. He came, he wanted his inheritance before, before my time was up, and I gave it to him. Why, why do you treat me like a cruel and harsh man? And we have to celebrate because your brother was dead. And now he's alive. He was lost. He was like physically lost and he was mentally and emotionally lost. And he has been found. And that is where Jesus, Jesus leaves this parable open-ended for a reason. Because we, the audience who receive this parable, we are called to find ourselves somewhere in this narrative. Now, the past two weeks, Luke's Jesus has been calling for repentance, for us to turn around and to return to God's love and grace from Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that stones the prophets, to last week's invitation to repent and to come back. So we see that, that Luke's Jesus is on a trajectory to invite us to reconsider the love of God to reconsider our place somewhere in that sphere. Now, the younger son, what we find out in this parable is that both sons misunderstand the father. They, they don't know their father. They don't know him. They think they do. They have claims to him. They want to manipulate him to their own ends, but they don't understand him. Now, we, given the perspective and the distance that we have with this parable, are supposed to come to understand something about this father character, this God character in this narrative. The younger son uses the father as a means to an end. Give me my inheritance. What's in it for me? He only wants what he can get for his immediate pleasure. And then when the well runs dry, he quickly finds some scheme, some plan to be able to manipulate dad a bit more, right? Hop in, hop out when it's convenient. I'm not worthy to be called your son. <laughs> you know, it's an act. It's, 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 Oscars are tonight. This guy's running for an Oscar here. He's like, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. Tear, tear. Oh, my God, it's so depressing. This is it's an act. This is an act. You wished me dead months ago. Now you want favors? Now, the oldest son, he's, he's basically disgusted with his father's permissiveness. We see this in the book of Jonah. You know, where Jonah goes and cocks an attitude and goes and sits outside of Nineveh because he wants God to destroy Nineveh and God doesn't. And Jonah's like, I'm angry enough to die. I mean, it's almost like all this melodramatic stuff that goes on in the scriptures. Because you know what? Jesus has his finger on our pulse. He knows that's us too. He knows our lips get all bad out of shape when we see someone who we think obviously should have been punished gets rewarded. We go, oh, 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 they shortened their sentence. How dare they? He's wrong. He's been absolved because of DNA evidence. I wish we never had that DNA testing. 
He should just burn. Right? And we get all bit out of shape, twisted. We weren't even the offended party, but somehow we take some sort of mutual offense on behalf of the aggrieved. So we have this older son in his mini rant. He's left with the impression that the older brother didn't care if he ever saw his younger brother again. As far as he's concerned, he is dead to me. He's got such a strong moral code that there's no place for offenders or outsiders or rule breakers in his moral universe. Do you relate to that? Because my hand is in the air. Oh, I relate to that. How many times do I get morally indignant about something? Some favor shown in the world, people who I consider less than? Mm, mm, mm. These things shouldn't happen, right? We do that. We do that. How dare they? How dare they? And this is the, this is the older brother. He's like, you get one strike, and then you're done. There's no three strikes business here. There's no turning the other cheek. There's no perpetual forgiveness. Generous in criticism is the older brother. Frankly, the elder son is disappointed with his father's willingness to forgive. How much longer will he allow the younger brother to abuse him? Dad, get a clue. Get a clue. Wake up. He's using you. He's playing you. So one brother does not feel the grace of his father while living in the midst of it, and the other brother does not become aware of the grace of his father until he was removed from it. So the parable is left open-ended. It's left open-ended for us to draw our own conclusions and to think about these two characters in the narrative as they represent different groups, different groups that Jesus would have been interacting with at his time. You have the, the tried and true followers of God, right? The older brothers who are always there, attached to their rituals, attached to the teaching of the law, attached to their observances. And then you have the sort of, you know, once in a while Gentiles that, you know, are learning on the way and they're like, mm, we don't know about this God thing is, but if there's some good in there, maybe we'll hop in, get a little bit that we can and go our own way. And the ones who were there early in the day, the keepers, the gatekeepers, they're, they're like, I, I don't think we like this new group of people who want to come in and cheapen. They want to be all chummy, chummy with God, but they haven't paid their dues. See, that's the older brother. The older brother's like, he wants due paying. He wants to see the receipts. He wants to see evidence that they have earned the right to be able to make the claims on the Father, on God, that they're making. And he's just, he's just not seeing it. Right? See, so as far as he's concerned, he's been working like a dog, right? I've started to study your scriptures from the time I was of age. I was out there learning about you, keeping your covenants, observing your practices, doing your commandments. I, that's me. Why do you let this person who just barely even know you? Why, do you, why do you have love for them? Jesus was brilliant in being able to, to lay this parable before his audience because he calls, he calls fraudulency on all of us. He calls fraudulency on our moral superiority, and he calls fraudulence on our sort of wishy-washy, eh, maybe I might, I might, you know, C&E type behavior. <laughs> I mean, really, he, he, he calls everybody out. He's like, none of you understand the extravagant love of God. Even when we're in the midst of receiving it, we don't understand it. And then if we do get a hint that we are blessed, that we are in the midst of experiencing grace, we don't want anyone else to receive it. Then we want to hoard it. Then we want to stick it in our silly church closet somewhere and, and bottle it up and sit on it and let it get moldy. 
<laughs> so I'm going, to, I'm going to leave this message just as open-ended as Jesus left it because I think that this is the kind of text that you just have to let marinate, right? You just have to, you have to sit with this one. So the question that, I, that I'm going to end with is, what do we make of such an extravagant God? We join together in our closing hymn, number 364. Let us join together in our fellowship of prayer and to direct our prayers for healing and renewal as we send them out for Corbin and Kimberly and 
all the others that are on our list and in our hearts. Let us pray. With certainty, God, of knowing that you care for us, we see that certainty, we, we find it in the experiences of deliverance, the opportunities where you have brought us back into well-being, that you have brought us back into your security through through the deeds and of grace that we receive from your people, through the forgiveness and the pardons, through the love, the service, through the encouraging words and thoughtful notices that are all signs of you're always scanning the horizon for us, calling us back so that way our sin would not cause us to wander off into distant and remote regions in our mind to alienate ourselves. But your love is also powerful enough to cut through our moral superiority. The times when we, we know we're right and we know others are wrong and we know what the proper measure of punishment should be for their wrongness. You cut through that and your love just melts us. And it shows us that we don't understand you. And in our lack of understanding you, we try to control you. And you will not be contained. And you will certainly not be contained for something as petty as us getting our way. That's not how you work and is not what you want us to convey about you and the world. So forgive us for the times when we have rejected you and walked away because we didn't trust that your grace had anything to offer us. And for the times when we have held so tightly and so fastly to you that nobody else was able to experience you through us because we hid you away, we kept you secret. And no one ever experienced the all-encompassing feel of your grace because we didn't let it pass through us. You have much to teach us in your parables. Let us spend time with them and to ponder who you are in relationship to who we are and who you were calling us to be. Today, we ask your prayers for those who are sick, for those who are undergoing treatment or anticipating treatment, we lift up to you today, in particular, Kimberly Brooks, Corbin Evanson. But we are also mindful of Myron Juritz, Shelley Milligan, many others who are also on the mend, being treated and being brought back into the assurances that you are with them. And this cannot be overstated. It is in knowing that your spirit abides with us that we feel, we feel the renewal and have the courage 
to move forward. So lay your blessings on those who move forward to attend to their health, work with their care providers and their caretakers, that all things will work together for restoration of body and mind. We ask that you would be with us as we continue to deal with things that don't go right in our life, the frustrations and the setbacks that we have, the disappointments, just that life visits upon us. For those of us who are grieving due to loss, upset, feeling of depression, minister to us. Minister to us through familiar and unfamiliar channels so your grace can be felt, we can be transformed. We submit ourselves to you today and every day, but we ask that you would receive the prayers that we speak unto you in our hearts, that you may hear us and comfort us. Hear our prayers. We give you thanks for receiving these, the prayers of your people. We ask that you would collect them into your care and that you would respond faithfully to each and every petition and that we would continue to scan our own respective emotional horizons to see you as you come out to greet us and bring us home. Remember us as we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
there's so much that we can thank you for. We could be here for another hour. But we'll just say this. For the wisdom that you have given us, which we have shared, for the abilities that you have cultivated in us, which we have put to service, for the opportunity to have a place where we can interact with you and others who are also desirous of knowing you better. We thank you for all of that. These gifts which you have made possible in a variety of ways are signs of our, our hope that others will also feel that call to come, to interact with you in sacred spaces, and then carry that light into the world. So may these gifts dedicate today to you. May be the seed money to someone's bright future. Receive them for the sake of he who offered himself for us. We join together in our covenant. We covenant with the Lord and with one another and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only, to be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Draw us close to you, loving God, as we come before you just as we are, having full ownership of the ways in which we have both hoarded you and dismissed you. We are both saint and sinner. We do things good and we do things poorly. But your love is consistent and you never fail us. Amen. On a night in which Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated Passover meal with his disciples, he said, took bread, divided it, and says, this is my body, take and eat in remembrance of me. He presented them with a the cup, he says, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood shed for the remission of sins. Infused with your spirit, guided by the example of your son. Send us boldly into our respective work and play spaces for the conversations that we will have, for the things that we will hear, for the ministry that you will call us to do right there on the spot to comfort, to encourage, to support and sustain those who are in our company. We say yes. And we say thank you. Amen. We join together in our closing hymn, number 419.
God bless and keep your people. Guide them safely to those places where they can do your work and your will. Give them the assurances each day that you are with them and the encouragement that they need to meet the day's challenges and the day's rewards. God bless you and keep you. God make face to shine upon you and may God's spirit give you peace. Go in peace.